Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, super fans. This is Phil Morris. Hero from Smallville, John Jones. Villain from the DC animated universe, Vandal Savage. An all-around wild guy. You are listening to Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. Hey there, Funny Book fans. Welcome to Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. I'm your host, Joe Stuber. As always, thanks so much for joining me here in the lair. Great show on tap for you today. Uh, Man, we are covering a few anniversaries with this one. As many of you listeners know, I've been celebrating 50 years of Star Trek this year on Comic Book Central. Also taking a look back at 15 years of Smallville. My guest today, he was in both of those worlds. You have seen him on screen. You have heard his voice in a ton of projects. The great Phil Morris. He's going to be along in just a few moments. Man, we're going to have some fun today. Looking forward to this. Now, before I kick things off, quick reminder that all episodes of Comic Book Central, and that is a lot of conversations with these legendary talents, folks. They can all be found in the archive section at the website comicbookcentral.net. You scroll through the archives. If you missed any, you can stream them. You can download them right there on the website. There's also an episode guide on the Facebook page uh, in the About section, so you can go through that. Uh, You can link to the Facebook page from the website. You can also link to Comic Book Central on Twitter from the website. Directly, it's at comicbookctrl. Uh, There's a link to iTunes. You can also find the show on Blueberry and Stitcher. You can catch up on past episodes on all those services. Best way to catch all the fun, subscribe to the show on iTunes. And if you're in iTunes, you subscribe to the show, please post a review. My thanks to each and every one of you who have been doing just that. Um, That helps out. When you tell folks how groovy the show is, you get more and more listeners tuning in. Always room for more here in the lair. There's definitely room in the guest chair today. Let's learn a little bit more about my special guest. Then you're going to hear my conversation with Phil Morris. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Phil's first acting gig came at a very early age and put him squarely in the Star Trek universe, where he would return throughout his career. In the very first season of the original Star Trek series, he appeared in the now classic episode Miri where the crew of the Enterprise encounters a group of children who have survived a mysterious, deadly plague. It was pretty easy for Phil's dad to keep an eye on him during the Star Trek shoot. That's because his father was the incredible actor Greg Morris, and Greg was working at the very same studio shooting his series, Mission Impossible. 
Over the years, Phil racked up some high-profile guest spots on classic television series, eventually coming full circle in the world of Mission Impossible as a series regular on the reboot in the late 80s, playing the son of his dad's original character. Now, from full-on Mission Impossible action to side-splitting comedy, Phil appeared on the mega-hit sitcom Seinfeld. Not easy to steal scenes from the stars of Seinfeld, but that is exactly what Phil did as Jackie Childs, a very Johnny Cochran-esque attorney. So, you know, my friend and I, we were going to the movies, and we stopped off and bought this cafe latte. Mm -hmm. What is that, like Italian coffee? Yeah, that's right. Half milk, half coffee? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You take a sip? Yes, I did. Now, when you took a sip, did you notice it was hot? Were you able to sip it in your normal fashion? No, I wasn't able to sip it in my normal fashion. Mm-hmm, all right, all right. Now, for us comic book fans, Phil has brought many of our favorite characters to life, both in live action and animation. On Smallville, he played John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Uh, in Justice League Animated, he played the immortal villain Vandal Savage. King Faraday in Justice League New Frontier, Imperiex from the Legion of Superheroes, Jonah Hex from Batman Brave and the Bold, Wakabi from the Black Panther animated series, Scorpio from Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, both Lego Green Arrow and Lego Hawkman, and Saint Walker, the first Blue Lantern. Why would you do this to me, brother? Do you want to teach me there is no hope? There is no savior? Well, I cannot give up. My spirit will not be broken. I believe. I will fight the Red Lanterns, no matter how many may come. All will be well. Now joining me now is the man who has portrayed just about everything in the world of comic books coming to life, from Martian superhero to immortal villain. A huge Comic Book Central welcome to Phil Morris. Phil, welcome to Comic Book Central. Oh, Joe, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. This is fun. There is a lot we have to talk about, so uh, I'll try not to go all fanboy on you. This is uh, that's going to be tough, i gotta, I got to admit. Um, we'll talk about the superheroes, the supervillains in a bit, but um, also, as my listeners know, we've been celebrating 50 years of Star Trek on Comic Book Central this year. You go back, yes. I, hate to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying ages or anything, but you go back to the beginning, don't you? Oh yeah, I don't mind age. You know, it's, it's you know another day, another day, man. Right. I have You're a little shot little kid. To do something cool again. <laughs> I was a little kid in, in in the Star Trek episode called Miri with um, Michael J. Pollard and Kim Darby. Yeah, it was um, it was a stunt casted episode. The, the, the Paramount and its wisdom and the Star Trek people used the kids that were the offspring of actors on other shows on the lot. So it was myself and my older sister Iona and William Shatner's kids and Martin Landau's kids and Peter Graves' kids. And it was an interesting set to say the least. This is so cool. Yeah. Cause when you look at this and basically, you know, we talked to Herb Solo, who was the, uh, the executive producer of the original series. Right. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, it's a two edged sword for Desilu. You know, they get these series, you, you always want to sell a series. And so they mm -hmm. sold series, but then it's like, well, how are we going to pay for all these? And it was like they were juggling Mission Impossible. They were juggling Star yeah. Trek, all these things. But yeah, that result, yeah, Mannix. And that results in like everybody being on the lot at the same time. So was this kind of like how much of that world did you know at that time as a little kid of like Mission Impossible and your dad's <laughs> role on it? Because you're what, like maybe, I don't know, like nine, ten years old or even younger, maybe, I think. Well, in 66, which is when Mission Impossible started, I was seven years old. Okay. And uh, it was it was massive. I mean, it was a huge deal. You know, I remember the, the premiere night at our house. I remember my father coming home and telling us that he got a job and he's playing a character named Barney, which we thought was funny. I mean, you know, as a kid, the name Barney was hilarious, you know, <laughs> yeah. and his character, Barney Collier, the electronics expert, you know, and the show was named Mission Impossible. I was seven. I had no idea what that meant. I just knew it was a big deal. And well, there Barney were a lot of people at our house. probably Barney Five too, because wasn't like uh, Andy Griffith like they were yeah. shooting on the same lot. I think you actually shot your episode absolutely. on the Andy Griffith lot too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that uh, on that um, that back lot where they had a desolate planet for us to run around in. Yeah, but um, so you yeah, think your dad's the, Barney Fife? <laughs> That's when you're a little kid until yeah, you know better. Exactly. <laughs> you're thinking Barney Google, Barney Fife. You know, it's, it's 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 it was so crazy. So um, so the night that it aired, actually, we had everybody at our house and. You know, we, I think as kids, we just kind of got it. This was important. This was a big deal. And that our dad was a part of something special, for sure. And, of course, we're talking about the great Greg Morris. I mean, just 
oh, mind-blowing, this role on Mission Impossible. What a series, too. And you had to be like the perfect age, you know, little kid, action, adventure, all mm-hmm. these things. I mean, that, and dad's, mm-hmm. you know, dad's saving the day every week. That had yeah, to be my dad was a superhero. Yeah. And, and in fact, man, I went to karate classes when I started my martial arts career was when my father got the show Mission Impossible because they went to a martial arts class to learn judo throws and locks and pressure points and stuff like that. And so I went as well. I thought it was cool. I went. And, uh, and I was really frail and brittle. And Bruce Tegner was our instructor. And he was one of the first GIs to bring the martial arts back. So I was fully into it um, up and until cartoons and girls were a little more important than, than that. But, <laughs> it's always a story. But, that's always. And then we, and then when uh, we get to be adults, then we go back to the comic book stuff. <laughs> I, I, I totally have them now. But, um, yeah. you know, again, the experience of my father being on Mission Impossible was, was fully engrossing for my whole family, my sisters, my mom. You know, I remember Greg Morris Day in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where he's from. So, you know, it substantially changed our lives in many ways. Yeah, and, I th- and I'm recording the show from Columbus, Ohio. I think that's where your sister was born, too. You guys uh, spent um, – she they went from Cleveland to Columbus, and I think – Beyond parts elsewhere other than that? Yeah, my, um, we went to New York and we stayed with my grandmother. My father came west. You were going back, Joe. You're going way back now. I know. That's what um, we do here on Comic Book Center. We go all the <laughs> way back to the beginning. Hey, if I'm doing Star Trek when you're seven. <laughs> I know. We're, 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 we're deep, deep, deep. Deep, deep, deep. Yeah. Um, How did it all start? Where did all these comic book interests come from? Well, my father came west to do you know his walkabout and, and ended up in Seattle, which is like the West Coast theater capital of the world. And uh, did A Raisin in the Sun. That show came down to L.A. He was dynamic in that, caught the eyes of several producers. He sent for us in New York. We came out here. You know, he did shows like Ben Casey, The New Interns, Branded with Chuck Connors. Um, God, what else? I mean, so many, so many shows. He did uh, an amazing episode of The Twilight Zone with Warren Oates. Uh, so, so it started for him, you know, pretty hard and heavy. And he was one of the first African-American actors to do anything of note in, in the media, you know, especially on television. In fact, Bill Cosby came the year before my father on, on I Spy. Yeah, anyway. I was going to say there were, I mean, I mean, you were thinking like Bill Cosby, your dad, maybe Teresa Graves, uh, I think with, uh, was it Get Christy Love and, you know, some different things. Like right, that. well, that was a little bit later. A little bit later, yeah. That yeah. was a little bit later, but yeah. But uh, man, um, these, and, were the, and, and, these were the ones opening the doors. No, exactly. So no him, no me, not, not only biologically, <laughs> but, but professionally. Um, and I was just enamored, you know, I, as I am now, I was enamored with action, adventure, suspense, mystery, thrillers, intelligent drama, character driven concepts, uh, the martial arts, visceral um, thrills. And I remember the first comic books I ever bought. I was with my grandmother in Cleveland, Ohio at a drugstore. And I have them to this day. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, see, that's the thing. Oh, so brother. many people are like, oh, my mom threw them out. It's nice to finally talk to somebody who's like, I kept them. <laughs> Sweet. No, 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 no. I didn't want that story. I didn't want to be that guy. No. <laughs> I didn't need to be that guy. What I'm happy the, to be the guy I am. What were the comic books you bought? Like, what were you dri- driven toward? Like, what, what appealed to you? I bought Tales of Suspense with uh, Captain America and Iron Man. It was a double bill. And then I bought um, Journey into Mystery with Thor. Um, I was a big Spider-Man guy right about that time. Fantastic Four was huge for me. I was a Marvel head early. Superman and Batman were, were, were cool, but I thought somehow Marvel was making a statement when I started to read comics that was different and less primary colors and, and um, you know, obvious moral um, underpinnings. You know, I, I mean, as a kid, I was, I was a Mission Impossible guy, so I needed, I needed something to stimulate me and you know, comic books were graphic and illustrative and they, you know, basically they're storyboards uh, for film buffs. And so that kind of cemented my journey right there. Well, I think the Marvel around that time too, the Marvel comics were more like real world kind of story. I mean, they're comic books, but you know, like you said, you had Superman and these, these, mm-hmm. you know, guys that can fly and that are invulnerable. And then all of a sudden you've got like regular guys with <laughs> no superpowers, but right, they, right. you know, right. street level. Like Daredevil. Kinda. Daredevil was yeah. a big, a big, a big favorite of mine. And, and I forgot that, honestly, until I started watching the series, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. But, um, but it reminded me how much I really enjoyed Daredevil because of his iconoclasm, his fight with his, his, his beliefs versus the violent nature of what he was trying to undertake and his vigilanteism versus his being a lawyer. I mean, dude, I, I was so into comics. I have 20,000 of 20,000 or so now. 
still. Still, um, oh wow, you are like hardcore comic book guy. Oh no no no, I'm I'm, I'm deep deep in it for real. <laughs> um, so you, so that's what I related to. You know? Okay, well we'll get in. I, I want to jump ahead, but it's like you know, like, let's let's build some of these blocks leading up. What, what do you remember about because I mean, Star Trek? It wasn't just like that first episode. Like you kind of remained in the world of Star Trek for a little while. But what do you remember of those first? Do you remember anything about being on the set? Because it was like, you know, creepy chanting Absolutely. children, that, you know, that staple That's of early Star Trek. <laughs> I remember it was scary as hell. That's what I remember. It was, it's a creepy um, episode, It was man. frightening because we were, we, we, you know, we were young. So no matter how much you knew about the business, and we did know a lot. I think that's why they used, you know, the offsprings of actors because they knew when to shut up when, when somebody <laughs> said action. <laughs> you know, when the red light was on, be quiet. Um, so... We were aware of the process, but we were still kids. So in that show, there were the grups and the monsters and the bonk bonk on the head. And, and they scared the hell out of me. You know, when they said action and that woman ro- rolled out and she had all those sores on her body, oh. I was afraid, you know. So that was a real reaction. Those are I wasn't faking that. I wasn't an actor yet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was very, very dynamic for us. And, and I made some really good friends, John and Carrie Grise we're on the set and we, they become lifelong friends and you know, it's like a family. I mean, literally that, that lot at that time with the Star Trek crew and the mission impossible crew and the Mannix crew, um, we were very, very close. You know, I learned to swim at Peter Graves house. And, uh, so, so it was more than just like a job, you know, I mean, literally it was our lives. We, we didn't know the difference as kids other than that our people treated my dad differently when we were in public. Uh, what a uh, great playground uh, for a kid, for an action adventure comic book loving kid. That had to be amazing. And then all those years later, getting, I mean, you kind of like floated back into the Star Trek universe from time. Like that was your first TV role. Wasn't your first movie role Star Trek III? Um, I think so. I think so. And, you know, but, you know, just just going, going back as you want to build the blocks, I, my sisters and I would go on the Star Trek set. I mean, there was no hot set. There were no security guards. And we would just walk on the set and pick up the paper mache boulders and sit in Captain Kirk's chair and <laughs> push the buttons. And I remember I pushed one of the buttons on his chair and my, my finger went all the way through. I was like, oh, 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 oh. We snuck out. Awful. Joe, oh, you I broke mean, it. it Amazing. I broke I, I guess I broke it. You know, I mean, I, who, I thought it was a real chair. I didn't yeah. know it was. I didn't know it was well, not funny. real. You read, you um, read Herb Solo's book and he talks about, you know, the like shooting on the lots and there's like, you know, birds up in the rafters interrupting the scenes. It's like, it's really not yeah. as, as high tech as we all think it is, you know, when no, you look back at these no. things. Um, so yeah, you had Star it, Trek three, you had a small role, I think in that. And then um, it was a deep space nine you, makeup in a few of the Star Trek episodes. I think deep space nine, you get to play a Klingon. Yeah. I played a Klingon in Deep Space Nine. Uh, was at uh, looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. Yeah, where uh, it's a bit, a bit of a kind of a romance slash one-off episode. You know, I think they have to have those every so often. Right, right. Um, you know, I play I play such a, 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 a butthole Klingon that they kick me out of the Klingon Federation. I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, you have to be kind of a dork. What a dork! You, you didn't even to get to die like an honorable. Day. Yeah, they just fired no. you. Get out! They banished me. You were done. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> But I had a great time, you know. I, I threatened Quark, uh, Armin Shimmerman, who's who's a wonderful actor and a, and a really good guy. And you know, I've I've had a, I've had the honor of playing in that universe quite a few times. And I think it's been good for me not to be, you know, even though I have done it a lot and I honor it, I'm not a fan necessarily of that genre, uh, Star Trek and sci-fi. So I go into it pretty objectively and pretty clearly, and uh, I have a great um, respect for it but I don't hold it in such a precious esteem that I'm daunted by the experience. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it does. Cause we, I mean, I even talked to uh, Eric Braden um, about, you know, about his time in Colossus and um, um, escape from the planet of the apes. And he just was said, I hate sci-fi. I'm not a fan. And I was like, Oh, well maybe that's why your performance is so believable because you're not like Ostra. You're like this dude that's like, fed up with everything around him or something. I don't yeah, and that's I, exactly who he plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That's, he's not, again, he's not acting. I don't mean to say that I'm not a fan. Right. I'm a fan of it. It's just not my bailiwick. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Mine is more, you know, um, action-adventure-oriented, you know, team espionage, you know, Jason Bourne, Bond stuff. Okay. Um, and, you know what I'm saying? Well, that probably answers my question about well, the question I was going to ask you about Star Trek, in makeup or out of makeup, which we prefer, because in Voyager, it's you. 
Uh, you're almost like right. a pre-Sandra Bullock in Gravity, I think, in that episode. You get right. to like kind of well, float around right. and do some right. things. So I'm going to guess that you're you like the out of makeup stuff better. Uh, no, you know what? You're wrong. It's, it's, oh, it's, okay. it's, it's toss up. It's a bit of a toss up. I have to be. The reason is because the makeup sets you so beautifully. It sets your character on a course that is it's inextricable. You know what I mean? You 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 don't question your reality. You know, as a Jem'Hadar, whenever after lunch, you know, when I'm in shirt sleeves and and uh, a tunic. Um, when I put this suit back on, it doesn't take much for me to, to get back into character. Okay. All I have to do is look in the mirror. That's kind of like you the know, old Jack Nicholson thing. I think what he told Keaton in Batman, just work the suit, work the mask. Dude, in a way, it informs you. That's what we do as actors. We use whatever bit of tool around us, whatever skill we have to be able to morph into this thing. So that is such a great uh, foundation. The Westmores and those people have given you such great... Um, 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 clay, literally, to work with, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you let it inform you? So when you play Klingon, you got the teeth in and you're growling. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're ticked you off. With the dancha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it informs you. And, and like, walked in, when I walked in to go play the, the um, Jem'Hadar, uh, and they said to me, you know, Phil, we know you played a Klingon. You know, Klingons think that they're the baddest, you know, MFs in the universe. But the, but the, but the, the uh, Jem'Hadar actually are. You know, they actually are the baddest boys on the block. These were the guys that were in the Dominion War, like they were, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Catcher So White and the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it's just as an actor, it, again, it, back to it informs me. So why wouldn't I want to put on, you know, I'm sure Michael Dorn felt like Worf every single moment <laughs> he was in front of the camera. Especially after hours of makeup, I'm, I'm sure that yeah. it was not not that hard to channel uh, an angry Klingon. Um, boys, <laughs> yeah, there you go. As an action adventure guy, it had to be the greatest thing ever to to not only be in Mission Impossible because uh, you got to be in the you know the reboot uh, in the '80s, but man, acting alongside your dad. I mean, what, mm. how did that all come about, and what was that experience like of just kind of boy being in that world with the guy that started it? it it was surreal. It was surreal. Uh, just, just, you know, I went in at the last hour too. I think they, 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 I don't know if they could believe that I would actually be the guy for that role. Um, the show mission impossible came out of a strike ridden season. So they had to pull a show that was fairly contemporary that they couldn't change. Not one word of dialogue, not one, nothing. Mm. So they chose mission impossible. And so then the search went out. Who's this character? Who's that? And they all got cast. We all got cast. I got cast as Barney Collier. Um, but I was kind of like the last chopper out of Nam, you know, it was like on a Friday. <laughs> so um, was it not like, let's casting. get Greg Morris's kid. I mean, was it? No, no, no. I had friends call me. Okay. So that role was there as your dad's son in the show, but not necessarily that it was going to go to you. No, that role was there as him, as Barney Collier. Remember, they couldn't change anything. Okay, okay, okay. It was a writer's strike, so okay. you couldn't write anything else. You couldn't write the son of. Got it. So they literally <laughs> cast us as. So they were like, "Ah, oh, could that really?" I'm sure. I'm sure they couldn't really. Really, that guy's gonna really for thirty years later. That really. <laughs> anyway, yes, really, actually, really, that is the choice. And um, <laughs> I wa- I walked in. And I had a great meeting with the executives. It was fantastic. I told my dad. My dad and I just laughed. I, I, Joe, it was. I, I can't imagine any other experience being greater than that, other than like winning an Academy Award or, you know, you know, being the head of UNICEF. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Curing cancer or something. Yeah, some, some unbelievable right. thing. I mean, that's just. It's I mean, full surreal. circle. Yeah, to just kind of so, follow in dad's footsteps. Yeah, and then to work alongside dad. I mean, what was that like? just to work side by side with him on a few of those episodes. I think it was, um, you got three episodes. I think it was the condemned yeah, we did, and, uh, and a two part the, 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 the serpent. Yeah. yeah. Golden serpent. Um, you know, it was, it was phenomenal. And, and I love my father and, and you know, he, he gave me so much and he, he and my mother coming to Australia because that's where we shot it was, was like, um, an incredible vacation family get together work thing. And it was fantastic. You know, it was, it was painful at times because, you know, my dad was in a in an interesting place professionally in his life, and I was on a different path professionally in my life. And so, you know, we had an interesting relationship ourselves. But um, the work was again incomparable. It's it's hard to measure. It's almost like that wasn't work. You know, I yeah. wasn't working. I, I was just here's a situation. That's my father. I'm who I am. 
you know, there wasn't a great deal of, of um, method soul searching to do in any of those moments. Um, so, and I think that was the best way to approach any of it. Just let the relationship play. And, and that was very fortunate. And what a, what a blessing for, for he and I. Were there any moments where he was just like, kind of like, hey, look, I was I was in the original. You might want to try it this way or never on set. But he'd call me. He'd call me when I'd be in, in Australia and he'd go, yes, yeah, he go, saw the show. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, ours was better. Ours is a better show. <laughs> I mean, literally just like that, Joe. I could do not. Just a better son. I think you're a fine actor. I see a fine actor, but uh, our producers are, you know what I mean? He just hit yeah. me with all the bop, 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 the bullet points. And honestly, it was a better show. How could it not have been? Yeah. I mean, it was the original. It set the tone. Ours was, was kind of coming at it from a, a place of need for the network and the studio. And we did the best that we could. And I thought we did a hell of a job. Was there anything uh, that you kind of channeled from him, whether knowingly or unknowingly, of just like kind of taking like, you know what, I want to add that layer to this performance? Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought one of the things that he did so well, um, which I haven't seen, and maybe it's been done well, and that's why you have shows like a MacGyver or any show like that that works with technology well. Uh, the, he integrated his brain, his mind, his process with this dead, inanimate object and created a, a bridge to life and an essential part of what that mission and that team was all about. And uh, whether he had words to do it with or it was just behavior and his, his attitude, you know, he gave life to those, those objects. And that was, that was something I tried to take and, and play, pay forward, uh, you know, in the new technology of, of the time we were doing our show and give that, those things life and give them an, an integral uh, nature in, in the running of our show. Before we get to the superhero uh, and the comic book stuff, I got to ask you about a couple of comedy roles. Um, one, the PJs, um, <laughs> taking over for Eddie Murphy. Um, just kind of put it. I just want to ask you about that kind of moving into that position because that's it, it's such a straight because your voiceover work, man. You look at this and it's just off the charts. The stuff you've done, but kind of coming in for that very specific voice. Um, and you pull it off. I mean, it's amazing. But how do you kind of come in? Were apprehension, nervousness? Do you say like, I don't want to follow no. Eddie Murphy? No. Well, once again, you know, I have a, a, a strong uh, sense of myself, which is good. Uh, the other is because I've been exposed to a lot of high-level people, high-level events, high-level experiences. You know, it seems to me it's just another part of my road. You know, Joe, it's just a part of my journey. And um, I was, again, familiar with Eddie's work because they had brought me in for The Legend of Mulan, um, the movie for Disney. And they asked me, well, what do you think? How do you think Eddie might do this? You know, so I came in for the scratch track, which is a preparatory uh, work for the animators because oh, the process okay. is so long. So actually that precursed this, this, <laughs> this other thing. And, and uh, I just think, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a certain talent. And I know Eddie Murphy. What do you think? What would I think he would do? And they would play me a little bit of what he did. And then I would do the rest of whatever. And then Eddie came in and did the final. So I had that connection. Okay. So that when they did the PJs, my name came up. You know? okay. And that's how that happened. So Larry Wilmore and, and, and Steve came at me and, and um, they gave me the tape. They gave me the stuff. They, I listened to it. And I just looked at it as another character. I didn't look at it as, you know, I'm following Eddie or I'm trying to be like Eddie. I was trying to be like Thurgood Stubbs, mm -hmm. you know, and the my Thurgood Stubbs is different. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, Eddie's is more nuanced. If you look at, listen to them both, you know, and I'm, I'm very anal about these things. You listen to them both. Mine's a more like machine gun approach, you know, you know, and, and uh, Eddie's is, more, you don't say, you know, his is much more uh, mellifluous and mine's more. Or kind of like Sergeant Rock. Yeah, I think there's a George Jefferson quality in Eddie's, and then yours yeah, definitely is a little bit more forceful. <laughs> yeah, he's angry at everybody. I'm like, why? Really? Third dude, why so angry? Uh, um, <laughs> what was the deal? Did he, Had he left the show? I mean, what was like, did he just not want to do it anymore? Was he too busy? Or what was the, like, why the switch? Ding, 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 all of the above. Well, oh, okay. we, you know, Eddie, Eddie's, Eddie's Eddie, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and uh, he, I don't think he thought... I don't know. I didn't talk about it, but I don't know if he knew that the PJs would take off the way it did. It. And, it, and it really did take off. And so he was like, man, I'm busy. <laughs> so yeah, if I have time, I'm Eddie. Shoot, I created this. So if I have time, I will come from Orange, New Jersey and do Thurgood. But if okay. not, you know, you're going to have to back me up. So they hired me and I would record Joe in a separate um, kind of at the same time as everybody else. 
but in a separate booth so that the, if Eddie decided he wanted to be in that episode, then they just lift my voice out of it and throw him in. Okay. Yeah, it was interesting. I, you know, I just remember that whole time period, and it just I was kind of curious as the backstory. Um, the other comedy role I got to ask you about uh, before we move on uh, on Seinfeld, man, <laughs> Jackie Childs. Okay, Jackie I, Childs. I, I was obsessed with the OJ trial. I mean, I watched every second I could possibly. Watch. Who wasn't? Okay, how much of it did you watch, and how much Johnny Cochran homework did you do? <laughs> well, I didn't really have to do homework. Listen, listen, you. You're talking to me and you started this whole thing by saying, you know, Phil, I hope I don't go too, go too far afield and go too crazy, fanboy crazy. My life is absolutely crazy, Joe. So not only did I know Johnny Cochran from having gone to the same barbershop in Los Angeles with him, but, you know, he was a part of the whole crew that my father ran with in a way. And so I, I, I knew Johnny before Johnny was famous. Okay, so you OJ knew trial. him. You yeah. Actually, oh, wow. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. I had, and, and so, so when he was his, his you know, he was Todd Bridges' uh, attorney. He was Michael Jackson. Yeah. There was a lot of people that I was familiar with way before this. So I had already been doing homework on Johnny. Okay. So when I went in, I knew him. And not only did I know Johnny, but I knew my dad, and I knew all these other dudes that are like hustlers and came from the streets, straight from the streets, and made it into the, the entertainment industry. So when you see Jackie, he's an amalgam of all those people. Not just Johnny. Okay, so how much of that character was on the page, and how much of the you know like the cadence and and uh, you know the lines did you bring to it? Well, the cadence is all mine. The cadence is all mine. The lines is all. I never changed the word of their dialogue ever. Oh, okay, okay, not once. Um, but but you know, the, the, but what I did bring, I think, was the sense of I understood. You know, when Johnny was when Johnny was looking at you and and saying, mm -hmm, "You don't say." You know, he was leading us. He was leading us, and you know, smart enough while watching the trial to know that that dude, he is pulling on us, and so that's what I tried to give to Jackie, you know, and that was kind of the overriding color that I think everybody related to. They liked that somebody like Jackie would try to pull something over on them with his way and his charm, and and, and get away with it. Did you ever get any feedback uh, from from? <laughs> I, it was like it was like a three-stage approach first, <clears throat> at first it was obviously awesome you know everybody he had to sign off his likeness because you know Seinfeld was a huge show mm -hmm. and they, you knew that they were lampooning him so they have papers where he was like yeah sure go ahead oh wow so um, it just didn't fall under parody and they could just get away with whatever they wanted yeah no they mm -hmm. had to because you know because they wanted somebody it came out in the in the breakdowns uh, they wanted somebody who could do a Johnny Cochran-esque performance kind of character. So we went in not knowing that. Um, and Michael Dorn was there, just to bring it back full circle again. He was at the audition. But um, what, what happened was the first time I saw Johnny at uh, the barbershop, you know, he was hitting his shaves and stuff. And I walk in, it's just he and I. And, you know, bop, the chair comes up. And it's like that Clint Eastwood moment and he looks at me and he just starts laughing he's like great job son well done boom 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 and then i did a series of honda commercials that the cohen brothers wrote and directed and then i did a series of diet dr pepper ads and then i got a letter <laughs> johnny cochran esquire los angeles oh art you know, becomes kind of reality and desist it was so great, Joe. So wow, great. Wow, that's so, awesome. That, that's when I knew John, J Jackie had arrived. Okay. Yeah, whenever he, he yeah. went into the legal... Uh, give us a little bit of Jackie. <laughs> I'm, I'm, what, do you want? what do you want from Jackie? You know, Jackie says anything, he's going to have to get paid. And you don't want that on your conscience, because I have legal recourse. Know that. <laughs> I'm trying to rein in the fanboy, but it's very difficult. All right, thank you for that. Um, look, let's talk. Uh, let's talk superheroes and supervillains. Smallville. Um, you're coming in <laughs> season six. I'm guessing, and this is just my take on it. Let me know what the reality is. Um, Jonathan Kent, played by John Schneider, he kind of like helps Clark along on his journey. I kind of get the sense that after his character's killed off halfway through. John Jones almost takes up that mantle, but not quite. Like, did you kind of see it that way? Was it talked about? How was the character pitched um, to you when you came in in season six? Okay. Uh, first of all, again, it was an audition process that that is, is very sterile uh, on the actor's end because I am not privy to any of the, you know, uh, intellectual conversations about the character and the arc and the concept and all that. I get a, I get a bunch of sides. I don't really know. They're not going to send me much because it's Smallville. It's it's super hush anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing I did know is I knew about John Jones. Mm -hmm. I'm a comic book fan. 
I know who John Jones is. I know who the Martian Manhunter is before I walk in the door. Before they send me the sides, I know who John Jones is. So that's all I had, Joe. And I knew those other actors didn't have it because I got the sides. And it doesn't talk about that there. You have to know that that's the Martian Manhunter. And when they talk about John in this asylum, talking to Clark, I'm like, brick, because I don't know what I can say on your show. That's John Jones. Yeah. Oh, man. So all these years of comic book fandom are now going to pay back, pay off. Okay, so you can, so for our in. listeners, like, get sides when you, when you, because the actors talk about sides. What, oh, right. what, what are you right, specifically right. getting? And it's not really spelled out for you on the page. No, exactly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A little, a little inside vernacular. Sides, yeah. audition sides are the bits of, of paper and dialogue that you have to go in to audition opposite a casting director or their assistant and be put on tape for the producers if they are not in the room. You don't, you don't always get the full script. You don't always get the full story. Usually you just get scenes, you know, uh, with um, characters and dialogue. It could be anybody. And you act that scene out. Yeah. It, it could be anybody. It could be Bob Smith. Um, but yeah. And, and, I mean, and especially in a lot of these projects these days that are have this kind of high-level <laughs> security, um, they, they, the, the characters' names are all changed. You don't know what you're auditioning for. Right. Because you might, you might spell an interview. <laughs> Yeah, easily. <laughs> and you sign and you sign NDAs, uh, you know, till the cows come home, yeah. so that you don't, you know, unduly affect the, the gross of a particular project. But um, so so that was kind of like Smallville, and, and so I, I knew about John Jones because I know John Jones. I know his compassion. I know who he is. So I brought that. Right. Then I wait a month. I go in again, and I wait a couple of weeks. Then the producers from Vancouver come down. Then I go in again. By that time, I don't even know what's, go- what's going on. <laughs> and then they call me and they say, hey, you got it. I'm like, what? Oh, wow. Are you crazy? Oh, man. So I, I was thrilled, man. Now, I was thrilled. Were you thinking, I'm going to be in makeup, I'm going to be in green makeup? Or, you know, like, what are your thoughts at that time of the character? Because now that we know we've got the full run of the show behind us, um, I think there's only even one moment where we see the full Marsha Manhunter, right? Right, there's yeah. a flash of him after he gets right. hit. By, by the Dr. way, is that Fate. you in there, or is that just all CGI? No, that's me. You oh, you, so you I'm actually got backwards. to put you actually got to put the full costume on. No, that's CGI, but that's my body. Your body, they put CGI the over top of it. Okay, got it. Yeah, I didn't know if the, you right. did the whole Star Trek makeup route again or not. No, no, I told him I'd be willing to though. Yeah, I, yeah, just like the cat does for Supergirl right now, but. Um, <clears throat> What what happened with with that was, I knew that I was going to have to get makeup. I knew who was going to be played as an African American, mm-hmm. and I thought it was freaking inspired. Mm-hmm. I thought of all the characters that John Jones would have empathy for and understand, the, and that would understand him, that he would feel most comfortable and at home with, would be an African American, because of their alienation within their own country. <laughs> and that's the character. And, uh, that's the that's the that's core the of the character. character. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's amazing. You know? So when you're coming into it, so how are you? Again, you've already got this stuff in the back of your mind. What are you bringing to it? Are, are there certain storylines or certain elements or certain beats of the character that you know that you're bringing into the stories or something that we, when we go back and watch the episodes now that we can kind of look for? Was there like a fatherly approach to it? Was it a, an empath, em, empathetic I, I, approach? I think it's an, I've been there. It's like, I, I, mm-hmm. dude, I've been there. I've been where you are. And I, well, I think you read into it whatever you want. If you read into that brotherly or uncle or fatherly or whatever, mentor. I don't think John looked at it like that. I think John looked at it as, hey, wake up. Look where you are. You know, I'm here to assist you on this journey, but this is definitely fraught with peril. But the consequences can be bold and brave and beautiful if you just stay the course, you know, and and admit who you are. And um, because, you know, again, John's been there. John is trying in his way to do the same thing. Um, So he's bringing that understanding to Clark. And I don't think he would have brought anything had Clark not needed his help. Because Jarrell told him, just be a stand, you know, bystander. Just check him out. Make sure he doesn't get killed <laughs> on his way of being, you know, the boy in blue. Uh, you know, so, so for me, again, I, I look at it in, on a deeper level than just, you know, a father's a name. Sure. But there are times when John wants to throttle him. Sure, fathers want to do that, too. There's times when, when John, you just can't get through to him because there is a difference between him being a Martian and, and Kal-El being a, a Kryptonian. But, yeah, but in that, you know, he's, trying to, he's trying to relate to Clark. No, that answers the question because I'm guessing less parental you're coming at it and more like maybe drill sergeant or managerial. 
Uh, a little bit because what they're doing there isn't casual. All right. You know, I don't have time. I don't have time for you. So, I mean, that's why Jonathan was there. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's why it's, uh, I say kind of amped role. it up. It's almost like you filled that role of John Schneider, but then you took it up another level. You definitely took it up in season seven in the episode Cure uh, with Laura Vandervoort. Mm. Uh, can you talk a little mm. bit about that yeah. scene? That's a little uh, scary <clears throat> moment when uh, you really don't want her there. Well, there's a lot of things I don't think that they explored that they could have and that could have been beneficial for future ep- shows, episodes, what have you, that I think the fans would have absolutely loved. And I think that was one of the dynamics that they, they missed, unfortunately, and that was whatever my relationship was with Jorel and, uh, um, and, and uh, uh, Laura's father. So that wasn't something that was really spelled out to me. It was on the page, and I could do my own, you know, connect the dots. But, you know, apparently as an intergalactic police officer, which John was, uh, he, he ran afoul of her father. And her father must have been a bad dude, not a good guy. So, you, you know, those, it's like they, they drop these little, you know, red herrings in there and you want to follow them, you know, but they didn't. They, again, it's Smallville. Yeah. They had 10 years of, of what they had to they had to make decisions. They had to make choices. Yeah. So they couldn't go all the way out with it. They definitely pulled at some of the strings. Yeah, they definitely pulled at some of the strings. I just don't know if they went the whole way with it. Um, had they ever talked about because, man, we've got season nine, the uh, the movie. Uh, two-parter, mm. Absolute Justice. As a as a comic book fanboy, okay, this thing's written by the great Jeff Johans. Uh, we're br- right. bringing in the Justice League, the Justice Society. When you got that script, I mean... I'm blown away. <laughs> just, just head reeling, spinning. I mean, my head was spinning the first time they brought me into the um, the looping room, which is where you do your dialogue after the after the, the episode's been shot and you're looking at a monitor or a big screen and you put in dialogue that they either want or they want clarified or whatever. And then they show the Kent barn and they show the outside of Kent barn and I fly off. I mean, listen, I fly off. Joe. <laughs> so I told them rewind that like 20 times. And I'm sitting in this booth in Warner at Warner brothers in the Warner brothers lot, just watching myself fly out of the Kent barn, like 10 times. It was just, so yeah yeah it's it affects me deeply yeah. you're <laughs> deeply watching it as a reading. kid oh my god i'm I'm reacting to it as a, as a child and then approaching it as a professional there's no better way to live my life had they talked at all about maybe spinning off smallville into the justice league because man they they put it was all built and then mm-hmm. i think it kind of became the Arrowverse a few years after that had they ever talked about bringing you all in as the Justice League? Well, they never talked to me about any of that stuff. You know, I I kind of campaigned for a a John Jones series, and I thought he could have been, you know, I thought he could have been like a great Rod Serling, you know, and introduce, you know, have episodes of his own, but introduce other characters in the the DC universe. Um, Like an ongoing anthology, kind of a dark, kind of like what they're doing with Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones, you know, but you have him as your erstwhile hosts, you know, traveling through the, the, uh, oh, okay. So he DC would be the narrator, sphere. not necessarily like and, the cop, but the narrator, like the bookender, for... you know, he'd come in at the beginning, come in yeah, at the end. Okay. Okay. And, and then every so often he'd, he'd carry an episode. I saw it that way, but no, they never talked to me about my own show. There were a lot of articles and fans that wanted it or justice league spinoffs, but nobody ever approached me with anything like that. What was Tom Welling like as a director? He directed you in part two of that. Tom knew what the hell he was doing. That's what he was like as a director. You know what I mean? And they're like, I love Tom a lot. I think he's a great guy. We're friends. But I was really um, impressed with him uh, behind the camera and with the energy and the knowledge that he had technically and the ability to communicate what he wanted to the actors, which is that's what a director does. You know, you don't get better than that. And I think that he learned a lot having spent 10 years on the set. He did not. He didn't squander any of those lessons, you know, and uh, and it showed. And I hope he gets a chance to do some. I hope he gets a chance to do some of the big budget pictures that are coming out now, especially in a DC or Marvel universe. I think he knows that side of the street well. How cool would that be to be directed by Tom Welling in the Justice League movie, or you know, that would be very cool. I awesome. think we were kind of hoping that we were going to get to see him in the red and blue tights, but uh, <laughs> in the yeah. Uh, you know, see, I look at it differently again. There's because, all these rumors. You know, he did that suppose. for 10 years. I know, I know. That's you know the fanboy I mean? and like, it's, it's a hard thing for the actor to go back to. It's like whenever I do a convention, he'd go, please tell them 
that I'd love to go, but I can't, I'm busy. I'm doing what they want me to do up here. And I'm working so hard. And dude, there was no let up for that guy for 10 straight years, Every scene. 10 years. Didn't yep. complain. You never heard of any problems up there ever. You know? Yeah. I, I love the guy. He put uh, in the time. I think we just want more. We want to see him. Fly. Well, you talk about flying right. out of the Kent farm and we want, we want to see him fly. So, um, but you did get to wear the, the outfit kind of, they did give you sort of the outfit. You got the, the, the red, the red X and the, the green. Yeah, I had the kind of like the pistolero look. Yeah. Um, so, how, what was which that I like? thought was cool. It, okay. You know, it was, it was great. I thought it was like an intergalactic shaft look. You know, I mean, I'm down with that. <laughs> yes. um, you know, you know, Joe. They had to update it. They had to change it. They had yeah. to modify it because it couldn't just be for the fandom of comics. Yeah. It had to be for a much broader audience. You know, and and I think again, making John Jones an African American, relatable, diverse. You know what I mean? You, you, you kind of get it. Um, and I think to not lay on the primary colors of the cape and the tights, and I think it was genius for them to bring in an entire audience that that might have either turned off or they wouldn't have understood it, to bring in the, the relationship with Lana and Lex and Chloe and, and, you know, characters, you know, some of them who were not in the, in the books uh, before. I think that, that had to bring another level of the audience that they could not have survived just off of a comic book audience. I think it was very smart of the Smallville producers to incorporate some of the concepts that they did, even though the fans didn't necessarily agree with all of it. John Jones was never in Smallville. So, right. you know, I'm glad they made some changes. Intergalactic, intergalactic <laughs> chef. Now you really make me want to watch that te- tele- that non-existent television series. <laughs> I think you got something. Hey, there's a pitch. There's a there's a pitch for you right there. Oh, I, you, I think it's strong. You mentioned you have twenty thousand comic books. Any of them Smallville season eleven? Did you get to find out where your character went? In I the- got I got all the ones that I could could get uh, without me going crazy. Okay. Yeah, I did see um, all the ones with me as Batman and yeah. and. Uh, Oh, dude, how great was that to see my image? Come on. Yeah. Come on. You're a comic book guy. You got these comics and now here. It's, it's again, you've come full circle. It's, you, you've realized the dream. You know, these, my comics have paid, off, paid for themselves, you know, many times over. You're in them. Yeah, you're in them now. I'm, I'm in them. Amazing. And you're also, <laughs> I mean, your voice is in them. Let's talk about some of the, the voiceover work. Vandal, Vandal Savage, was this another character that, that you kind of, knew about or did you have to kind of go back and do a little research on this one i was not that that keen on vandal uh when i got the job and, and that was a, a wonderful job to get you know because um uh that was an offer and i didn't have to audition for that which is fantastic oh, i wow. knew i could be a vandal savage that's that's their genius i guess but um yeah i had to go back and look at, up this this crazy immortal <clears throat> and see what motivated him and and uh, what he had done in the past and um, I, again, I was impressed. I have a, 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 um, a knack for playing not just larger than life characters, but characters that, um, uh, go beyond time and space, you know, in a way, uh, you know, Vandal's one of those characters. And I think it's because I'm, I'm enamored with them. I respect them. I, I believe in them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I believe in you, Tinkerbell. <laughs> you know, I, be- I, I, I believe, uh, uh, and you know, you know, Joe, I don't know if, if, if your other, uh, fans or the listeners out there have this feeling about themselves. I, I, I think it's a wonderful thing to have. If I were to wake up tomorrow and I were floating above my bed three feet, I would look around me and go, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You know. Well, you already so, flew out of the Kent farm, so it's just a natural extension. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So when I, I, I researched characters like Vandal Savage, um, you know, I relate them to these mythic qualities that I, I, I respect and I honor. So yeah, Vandal is, is a great character to play. He seems like such a tough nut to crack too, because it's one of these, like, he can't kill him. So there, there's like no. really no vanquishing. We've seen that on Legends uh, with the, li- the live yeah. action version. I don't know if you have it, if you've had a chance to, to catch some of him in the Arrowverse and Legends and things like that. But No, no, I haven't. Okay, you have def- definitely a tough nut to crack, but you got to have a nice bookend with the character. I, I love the, mm-hmm. almost the final episode, if you want to say, of the animated version of it. I, I know you, you know, you did the feature animated things, but um, kind of a right. nice, you do get to redeem it. <laughs> this irredeemable character, supposedly irredeemable. Yeah. Character. Right. You're talking about the one with Superman on the, on the planet at the end there. Yeah. And he's making or dinner. About... <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's making Superman dinner and he's kind of hanging out like what, 3000 years in the future or something. I, I think Bruce Tim's, uh, uh, Bruce Tim and uh, Andrea Romano's direction to me was, you know, Vandal's cracked. 
Vandal <laughs> <laughs> cracked, Phil. He, he, he snapped. And um, I was like, oh, I get it. How, how could you not? I, I can't die. You, know, you can't kill me. How am I going to I'm going to have to endure this for the rest of I just that's ludicrous. That's an insane reality. Yeah. And, um, you know, was, that's what you hear. <laughs> that's interesting because there's a little manic. Yeah, there's a little bit of manic in there. And I think that's even a line of just you're insane. He's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's just like this. Yeah, maybe that could be, it's possible. It's good. <laughs> you know, and I think um, to play that again, simply, he, you uh, know, I love Vandal so much. Um, these characters, you don't play with a lot of um, show them. You just you kind of try to embody them and let them show you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so that's how Vandal has been for me. I, I wasn't, again, I wasn't that 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 keen on Vandal as as a character in the DC universe. So I had to do the research on him, not like I was on, on other characters. So as I see the, them, I, I start to respect them. Same with you know with King Faraday and other characters that I played that that are very strong in the DC universe, but are not mainstays. Right. Ton of voiceover work. Do you have a favorite? I mean, you mentioned Vandal wasn't definitely like at the top of the list, but do you have a favorite as you kind of go through these? Because you got Marvel and DC. I mean, you were on Black Panther for a little while. And, um, yeah. Um, Vandal Green, is Green on the, Arrow in the Lego universe. As, right, right. And uh, I'm doing um, well, I'm doing Hawkman in that universe mm-hmm. as well. But um, yeah, Vandal is on the top of my list as a voiceover character, maybe not as a character in the comics, as oh, okay. a fan. But as an actor, as a character, as a voice, a voice a talent, oh, man, how could he not be? Okay. Um, Imperiax is one of my favorites that I did for the uh, uh, Legion of Superheroes. Um, absolutely one of my favorites because it was the first time I played just a just full-on pure villainy, evil incarnate, which was fantastic. <laughs> it was a great release. We always hear that from actors. They always like – well, I can't say always, but a lot of them like the villainous roles. A little bit more scenery to chew on. A little, You can kind of go nuts with a little bit. I mean look at Mark Hamill as the Joker. It's, you know – Ah, it's fantastic. Um, but, 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 you know, I also like, I was just going to mention a character who's 180 degrees, 80 degrees antithetical to that. And that's Saint Walker, uh, that I did for the green air, uh, green lantern, uh, animated series, uh, Josh Keaton and, um, Kevin Michael Richardson and Jason Spizak and Gray Delisle and a lot of great, great talent on that one. Um, Saint Walker is one of my all time favorites because he's, he's a, he's Zen. He's a Zen master. He's the, like the highest level martial artist you'd ever want to see. And he ends up becoming the first Blue Lantern. And he's a peaceful, a beautiful character. I just, I love St. Walker. Again, a character that's not a mainstay that I had to do some research on, um, but, but definitely, you know, spoke to me. What did you find out about the character in your research that, that you appreciated the most? Well, my research consisted of me going into the booth and going, who is St. Walker <laughs> to these, to these guys. That was my research. And they were like, Oh, well he's um, very Zen. And you know, he's, he's, he's very, and I said, Zen. I said, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Kung Fu Sifu. They were like, no, I was like, no, that's not why you brought me in here. They were like, no, we just knew you'd be good for this. I was like, yeah, okay, here we go. And that was literally how I connected with that character. That's all I needed to know. That's kind of like going back to your Mission Impossible days. It's like, you, you didn't bring me in because I'm Greg Morris's kid. <laughs> right, no. right, right. No, no. Nope, oh, good. Okay, good for you. Good you're for a super me. collector. Pretty objective to the deal here. Let me do my thing. <laughs> Get out of my way. Let me do my thing. That's got to be, as an actor, that's just got to be like, nope, no pre- preconceived notions just because you're awesome. I, 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 man, that's so, it's so great. Um, so yeah, those, those characters. And I tell you, one of my, I mean, we're still talking about VO, um, uh, Dr. Sweet from Atlantis, the lost empire, um, is one of my favorites as well. That's the Disney feature. And, uh, I was again able to play the first animated rendition of an African American person, human being ever in the Disney universe. Nobody had ever done that before. We'd voice characters, animals, whatnot. Uncle Remus was a live action guy, but there had been no animated depiction. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's a bit of trivia in the Disney universe. Did, had that, Come on now. Had that dawned on you at that time? Like, did you order No. Did, okay. No, I just, somebody told me, like, in a, in a press thing, and you know, they were like, Do you know, you're the first African American. I'm like, Yeah, Frederick Douglass. <laughs> no, I was like, Cool. Great. Do you would that have? Do you think that would have impacted your performance had you known it going into it? Would that have maybe Not put a little all. extra weight on it or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, again, where do I come from? Who's my father? 
you know, I live in this world. It's not, it's not, it's not anathema to me that I'd be playing a character that's the first African-American anything. Yeah. Pretty much a lot of the earlier characters that have established anything in, in life were the first African-Americans to do anything. And, um, and I've come from that world. So, no, it wouldn't have informed me at all. Well, we chatted about some of the, you know, you mentioned Daredevil and some of the things that are going on now. I mean, everything's a comic book now. Everything's a, either an animated or a comic book, live action, movie, TV show, whatever. You like Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, look, we've got Luke Cage coming up. We've got Jessica Jones already out there. Would you like to jump into the Marvel Universe at some point, live action? Of course. I would love to. I would love to, you know. And um, what would you want to do in that universe? And have you made, has your well, agent made any calls yet? <laughs> they, um, you know, it's a, it works in a different way. You know, it's a very high level machine. And they, they go, they absolutely go after box office, um, usually. You know, I wouldn't mind being a part of the, 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 the Black Panther situation and play his father, his uncle, his mentor in some way. I'm a little old to play, um, Tishala. But, but, you know, I, you know, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to play in there in some way. I don't know what character there would be to play in that universe that isn't already taken yeah. in a way. Um, but you know, that's just, that's a place I, I like to, I like to read as a fan. I like to be a part of as, as an audience and especially as an actor, it has certain dynamics that I fit very well within, you know, whether it's a look, a physicality, a, a fighting ability, a acting ability, a characterization ability, you know, either way. Well, it would I think be good to be in there or something. We've got Luke Cage, I think, what, Iron Fist uh, coming up on Netflix, too. Iron so, Okay. So mm-hmm. I just, I always like to ask actors who love comic books if they've, you know, reached out or if they've, you know, kind of talked to anybody. But Black Panther's the one I'm looking forward to hugely, especially after we've just seen a little brief appearance in, in the latest Captain America movie. Right, so. Avengers. Yeah, yeah right, I think that's right. just going to be unbelievable. So well, let's talk about some of the things you are working on. Uh, works, work mm-hmm. in progress. This is a, a new um, comedy series. That's a, oh yeah, with Taylor Barrett. Um, she's, she, you got a series picked up by hear TV okay. and she, she wrote a character in it for me. It's, it's her life actually after college and wanting to be a social, uh, documentarian. And, um, she ends up working for me. And I play a character named Phil Morris, a producer actor <laughs> who is method acting. Idol, who is like her idol. I mean, Taylor's a very, very funny, very clever actress, and she's going to go places. And, you know, she asked me to do it. And she said, I have this part. I think you're perfect for it. Okay. <laughs> I said, what is it? She said, it's Phil Morris. I'm like, what? And, uh, and I read it. And it's very clever. And I end up being her mentor producer and I produce her series her six episode series okay. and it's very successful. So, you know, that's a really interesting show. I think it'll be up and I do a, a recurring on um, baby daddy, which just got picked up for its sixth season over at ABC family. There's a, I'm told there's a top secret project. So I'm guessing you can't say a whole lot about something. Yeah. It's one of those. Is there um, something, uh, but, can you throw it into a genre for us? Um, will we see you? Will we hear you? It's weird. Here's, here's, what, here's the deal. Okay. It's one of those things that they make you sign an NDA, and a lot of times they, they make you sign these things, and you're like, yeah, okay. And it goes nowhere. It's not a big deal. Uh, it's more for the creators than it is for you because they're, you know, they're very precious about their project. And, um, and so and for me, it's, sometimes it can be something amazing, and some, a lot of times it, is, it isn't. This particular project is in the beyond amazing file. Wow. Um, this is one of those things that when I, I didn't know what it was, I'll tell you the story about it. And it's even hopefully the thing that it is when it comes out is as cool as the story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know, right. You love the tease. Um, Is is, is it cooler than uh, John Jones, shaft? Well, that's, that's speculative. This is real. Okay. This is real. This is a job I actually have. Actually, They've given it to me. It's a thing. I've already done a thing for it. There's things happening. Okay. Um, Go with the story. But I, I don't know what this thing is. No, tell us the story. We're, we're dying to hear the story. Okay, so I don't know. This is part of the story. I don't know what this thing is. I'm doing all this work for it. I don't know what it is. And they say it's under these code names and you know, numbers and stuff and hyphens and I don't know. So they send us this NDA and they tell us, you know, remember, you're under this NDA and you can't. So, um, so I go, fine. Fine, 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 fine. I don't even know what it is. They send me the script. The day before the table read, they send me the script. I don't know the character I'm playing. I don't know what the project is. 
I read the first line. I shut my computer off and call my best friend. I'm like, dude, let me tell you something. <laughs> and I tell him what it is, and he flips. And I <laughs> so go to already him. you violated the NDA immediately. I've already violated it because I've already told him. <laughs> but he's not going to say a word. He better not. Um, but th- this is all better. See, this is better, Chuck. It's better. Because then it's like all these people are going to be trying to check out what it is. Uh, and I go to the thing that they have for us to, to meet everybody and do, and they do this great presentation and it blows my mind, blows my mind that I'm a part of this project. That's just so very cool. And, um, so, you know, when they give you the, okay, you'll be one of the first people I can actually fill in the details on this thing. Okay. Do we have an ETA as to when that might be, there might be an announcement. Uh, the project has been announced already. Okay. Um, it's just it's who's just, in it. Who's in you it. Know? Okay. Yeah. All right. So this so, is a project. Um, this Okay. Well, we'll, we'll definitely It'll interest your, your people. It'll interest your people, our people, the people. I, I'm guessing since your head exploded when you were, I'm guessing it's in the world of comic books that we don't love. So, or at least something in that genre that we're going to be excited about. So, um, and yeah. where else, where else can we see you? Um, we've mentioned baby um, daddy. Um, what else going on? Um, uh, you know, um, um, I just did an episode of Blackish that was on weeks ago. Okay. I'm doing a lot of that stuff right now. You know, it's the pilot season is, is a past for a lot of us. I'm doing a lot of um, voiceover for, for stuff like the Lego universe and um, Scooby-Doo universe uh, and that kind of thing. So, you know, these are all, these are, sometimes it's okay to say what it is and sometimes it isn't, but I'm doing a lot of stuff that you can listen for and I'll be out there when it comes out. We can talk about it again. I, that's the way the world is right now. You know, I did an audition the other day. They took the, 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 the sides, which we now know what sides are, don't we, people? <laughs> took the sides, took them away from me after I finished the audition and shredded them in front of me. Oh, just the side, not even the script, the sides. Boom, vroom. <laughs> you were involved in some top secret, high level, checkmate level security it's, clearance stuff. I can't here. even talk. Why? I shouldn't even be talking to you right no, now. No, you shouldn't. I shouldn't know any of these li- things. I'm risking my career. <laughs> Who am I? Who am I to know these things? <laughs> oh, <my laughs> There's God. so many different things. Well, I'm sure as we find, as they are announced, we'll be finding out about it on social media. How can we find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter at the Phil Morris and at the Jackie Childs. Um, and uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm... I have a, uh, uh, a website on Facebook, and I got TV. So check out all that stuff. Oh, wow. It's, I have no assistant, so it's all old. But you can check it out. And I'm, uh, I'm, you know, hey, listen, the thing about me, Joe, is I like to work. I, wor- I just finished a play a week ago or so, a couple weeks ago, and just started this other project that I was telling you I can't talk to you about. <laughs> but I, I, li- I just work. I don't really do a lot of the social media stuff. I could be a lot better at it. I would like a lot more followers and maybe a lot more immersed in that. So one of the reasons why I'm talking to you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, we appreciate it. You're too busy making money. You're too busy making <laughs> legendary roles come to life. Uh, all this good stuff. We're, we like it because we get to watch your performances. So, yes. Yeah, I appreciate it, my spend friend. Spend less time on social network and go do those things that we like uh, to, so much. <laughs> hey, Phil, thank you so much for revisiting these roles uh, with us today. Um, looking forward to these projects. Looking forward to finding out what these projects are <laughs> as they're announced. Yes. Um, continued success to you, and thank you so much for joining me on Comic Book Central. Uh, brother, I appreciate it, and uh, best of luck to you. Take care. Looking forward to finding out exactly what that super secret project is. Oh, man, that's going to be fun to find that out. I'm sure Phil's going to announce it on social media when the time is right. I will put the links to his Twitter and Facebook pages in the show notes for this episode at my website so you can catch up with him there. You're going to find that comicbookcentral.net, the show notes. Click those links. You can follow Phil on social media. Again, my thanks to Phil Morris for stopping by, talking about all these different roles. Uh, and man, for channeling Jackie Childs once again, <laughs> that was awesome. Really enjoyed that. That was fun. All right, we are having all kinds of fun each and every week right here on Comic Book Central. If you are new to the show and you want to get in on the fun, the best way is to subscribe to the show on iTunes. You get all the episodes that way. Take them with you on your road trips, your vacations. You can catch up on the episodes you might have missed. A lot of good Smallville ones out there as well. Michael Rosenbaum, John Schneider, 
uh, Laura Vandervoort, a bunch of others. So check them out. Episode guide is on the Facebook page in the About section. Share the episodes every Saturday on Facebook. Retweet them on Twitter. Share the lair. Hashtag share the lair. Thanks to each and every one of you who are doing just that. It does. It really does get the show out to a bigger audience. You get them to all your friends and family. They can check it out. More people get in on the fun. When you head to the comic book store, uh, this hey, if you're standing in line at San Diego Comic-Con, tell everyone about the show. Let them know about it. They can enjoy it and get in on the fun as well. And I want to hear from you. If you have a favorite comic book movie or TV show, if you have some guest ideas, there are there anniversaries we need to celebrate? What are you looking forward to seeing coming up? Wonder Woman, Black Panther, Justice League, a lot of good stuff coming. Let me know what's on your mind. You can click that Signal Me tab on the website or send an email, joe at comicbookcentral.net. All right, kids, that's it for today. Martian Manhunter and I are going to go split a package of Oreo cookies over at the Kent Farm. But not to worry, I will be back before you know it because next week on Comic Book Central, I've been hinting at it for a few episodes now. Next week... I'm talking Supergirl, one of my favorite shows from last season. Next week, the actor who brings the iconic character of Jimmy, well, James Olsen to life on the show. He's going to be right here. McCod Brooks in the lair. We're going to be talking about Supergirl. We're going to be talking about Superman. Superman's going to show up on the show this fall. We're going to talk bow ties, signal watches. And what's next for the show as it heads to the DC Universe on the CW? McCod Brooks is coming your way next time. Until then, have an amazing week. Keep reading those comics. Thanks for joining me here in the lair. Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. This podcast is intended for entertainment and education purposes only. All original content in this podcast is the intellectual property of Comic Book Central and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivations 3.0 imported license. All the content and names are registered trademarks and copyrights of their respective holders. Then what happened? Well, you know, uh, they don't allow outside drinks in the movie theater, so I had to put it in my shirt and sneak it in. Yeah, see, they like to sell their own coffee. Yeah. Now, is that going to be a problem? Yeah, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for them. <laughs> it's a clear violation of your rights as a consumer. It's an infringement on your constitutional rights. It's outrageous, egregious, preposterous. It's definitely preposterous.